Well, if you were here last week, uh, you were here for the beginning of a new series uh, that we entitled uh, Together We Can, and that was inspired uh, by this sculpture that uh, I, I found in Benin while I was in uh, Africa there, and uh, walking around and uh, noticed a sculptor uh, cutting uh, making different things, and, and this particular piece caught my attention. Three different people uh, holding up this, this uh, pot or this vase, and it was interesting because there's holes in it. And through the translator, I, I asked him, you know, what was going on here, and he said that uh, he entitled this, Together We Can Stop the Water. And I uh, went on to share with me about how together we can do things that we could never do by ourselves. And I thought that that was such a beautiful sculpture and image of a really biblical community of, of how when we come together as the body of Christ, that, that we are able to do things that that we could never do by ourselves, that there's a, there's a power uh, in the local church and the, in the global church of, of uh, cooperation and just functioning together. And when it functions together correctly, miracles happen. And it's just neat to see how one thing feeds off of, of another. And I just was thinking about yesterday during the uh, uh, Frenchtown giveaway that was envisioned that we would bring together kind of uh, our things and, and maybe even buy new toys and, and different things to bless those who are under-resourced in our inner city. And as... We are packing things up uh, to bring down here to E3 so they could be brought to uh, the, the serve and the, and the, and the giveaway. Uh, I, I started racking my son's old bike. And we had talked about it that, that we were going to give his bike away and, and uh, we thought that there was understanding there. But I think the, the reality of actually seeing uh, the rocket you know, which is the bike, uh, being racked on my rack to be taken away. It, he, he revealed this, you know, this eight-year-old humanness that all of us have, but eight-year-olds just have a way of showing it a little bit better than the rest of us. And he's all like, what are you doing with my bike? It's my bike. And I said, well, remember we talked about, you know, that, that, that there's children in uh, even in our city who, you know, their moms or their dads, they don't have enough money to, to buy their, their little boy or little, little girl a, a bicycle. So you have like two bicycles and a whole bunch of other stuff and, and, and you don't use this one and you could, you know, it's in good condition. You could really bless somebody. You could really help somebody. And, you know, and I gave him that big you know, beautiful, eloquent speech that I just gave you. And he, get it, and he looks at me and, and just cuts to the chase. He's like, do you mean that there are boys that don't have a bike? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's basically, you know, roundabout way what I was trying to get to. And, and uh, he said, that's crazy. Every boy needs a bike. 
And I, and I said, well, you know, it's not necessarily politically correct, but but that's cool, you know, maybe, and, uh, uh, you know, maybe every, every child needs a bike or every little person needs a bike, but, you know, you know, that's okay. And so he starts thinking about it and we start talking about it. He's like, well, what, what, what can we do about it? Cause every, every boy needs a bike. And, and, and I'm like, uh, well, you could start an organization. He's like, perfect. <laughs> That's it. And, and he says, we'll call it Every Boy Needs a Bike. And I'm like, all right. So we get in the car, and my son's very musical. And he's, he, I, we're driving along, and he, 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 he comes up with a song, and he's singing in the back, Every Boy Needs a Bike, Every Boy Needs a Bike. It's like the F-R-E-E, you know, uh, kind of thing. It got drilled in my head, and I'm like, okay, you got the annoying little jingle down. That, uh, so, and he's like, oh, so we gotta, when we get home, we got to work on our organization and, and, uh, and, and start rallying people to make sure that every boy needs a bike. And I just, uh, actually this morning and last night, he talked to me about it and uh, just different things like that. And the reason I share this story with you is, is it was so exciting for me to see my son break out of, of his childness, even for a little bit maybe, to, to think of a world outside of himself. That, that because of this community, he was shown that, you know what, he can be the conduit of generosity and God's love to, to people who, who may not be as fortunate as him or, or don't, do not know God's love. And it just was really exciting to, to, to see that, that influence. And it kind of reminded me of what we're talking about is together we can, that we can, we can influence our children and, and encourage one another to do things and think of things that you know, maybe we just wouldn't do on our own. And as I was thinking about this series as we go through, we really want to talk about what does it really mean to be part of a biblical community? You know, yes, you know, there, there's the given, obviously, uh, to be part, you know, of a of truly part of a, a biblical community, you need to identify Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and leader of your life. But Outside of kind of the, the, the yes, those things, what, what does the church look like larger? What are, as us as individuals, what are our responsibilities? What are the expectations for, for us to work together and, and really function healthy as a healthy body of Christ? And I started really thinking about different things. And uh, the first thing that, that I came up with, which is kind of on the surface level, and I was going to talk about this today, uh, was you got to participate. I mean, just in order to have community, you, somebody's got to show up, or at least two people, I guess, have to show up and at least somehow participate. And, and I was landed on that, and I even told everybody, okay, we're going to, we're going to, you know, talk about participation, that, that, you know, everybody needs to participate in, in God's work and being part of the body of Christ. But as I got into Scripture and, and really praying through that, I, I just, I really felt God was leading me away from that being this particular talk for today because 
he was revealing that there may be something even more critical to biblical community and healthy church function, and that was trust. Trust that, that you know, even if there's people participating, there's a lot of people there, if, if there is not any trust, then there is no real community. And I was reading scripture about it, and I just I wanted to share with you guys just uh, some things that I came across today on this, and I uh, just wanted you guys to think about it and maybe uh, take it in your homes and talk a little bit deeper or in your small groups about this uh, over the next week. Uh, the first thing is, I think in the English language, a lot of times we use words a lot that that kind of have a forgotten meaning, or we don't know exactly what it means, but we understand it in context. And I think trust may be one of those kind of words. You know, really, what does what does trust mean? And uh, so I went to the authority, Webster's, and uh, looked it up. And their definition is assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. One in which confidence is placed. And then another author in my readings uh, wrote this, said, mutual trust is a shared belief that you can depend on each other to achieve a common purpose. And I just, I thought, wow, you know, you think about that. Trust is really, can I trust this person's character? The makeup of that, of that person. Do they have the ability to follow through in the things that they're talking about? Do they have the strength of, you know, maybe physical strength or emotional strength or spiritual strength to follow through? Are they, are they a truthful person? Can I trust them? And I was just reading um, some of Jesus' words, and, and I wanted to share some of those with you. Uh, the first passage was found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 and 37. And what I wanted to do today is look at a couple of passages of Jesus' words and what he kind of talks about this subject. And then I wanted to kind of use that and, and step into just some real nuts and bolts, practical Hey, how do we build trust? How do we maintain trust kind of thing? So, uh, Matthew chapter 5, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 33. Jesus says this, You have also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just a simple yes, I will. Or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. And I was really struck by that. And you 
think about kind of Jesus painting this picture, kind of studying the standard of, of what does it look like to be a follower of him. And, and there's this, this very high bar on our word. You know, what we say. When we say we're going to do something, And and basically, he's saying, you know what, instead of making these oaths or these vows and, you know, saying all of these different things and say, you know what, I truly, really, truly mean it this time. He's saying, you know what, as a follower of me, as a prince or princess of the king, that your yes, your character should be so great that you're just a plain yes or a plain no should survive, suffice. It's really not even talking so much about the other things, making oaths and everything, and it's talking more about what is the character, what is the strength, what is the ability, what is the truth measure of a follower of Christ? And having such credibility that, you do, that people trust that you are going to follow through with what you say you're going to do. I've had the blessing and maybe sometimes curse of, of being an employer um, most of my working life. Uh, when I was in Los Angeles, I had 13 people working for me. And uh, also, you know, we have a, a large staff here at, at E3. And trust is one of my very high values, that I have to trust the people that I am working with, that, that I have to believe that they're going to do what they say that they are going to do. And with me, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I readily believe in people. I want to believe what they are telling me. I... I I listen to them, and 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 even if they failed me in the in the in the past, I really just think that most people want to do the right thing, and that they're going to fulfill their their commitment. Their yeses are going to be yes, and their noes are are going to be noes. And for me, there's there's this progression of of, and I don't I don't know really where it is. I haven't identified that in myself, but there's there's a point in me where it's the proverbial, the straw that broke the camel's back. That, you know what? It's fine. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. Okay, now I don't believe anything that you're saying to me anymore. That you've just, you've broke the camel's back. And a lot of us, you know, that's not a healthy way to deal with it. A lot of times just storing it up. And, and others of us, you know, we allow it to, to erode. Uh, some of us, you know, start using call screening and just don't deal with the situation. There's all sorts of ways of dealing with, with this broken type of relationship. And we've all experienced it. I had, I had you know, one person who, who used to work for me who you know, they would promise the world. And when I was with them, they were so convincing. And then when it came to the time that, that it was meant to happen and the time had passed, I would go and say, well, what, what happened? And without fail, this person had the greatest stories ever told 
I mean, I, I wish I wrote them all down and made a book. I mean, it was just incredible that I, I believed them and, and, and I remember that, that it, it finally came to a point that there was one more broken promise and, and it just it broke my heart when I realized that I saw the person's mouth moving, but I didn't care to listen and, because I knew it was just another And that's bad enough for those of us who, you know, don't claim to be the son and daughter of, of God. But those of us who have really said we are followers of Christ, those of us who've been baptized into the, the, the body of, uh, of believers who identify ourselves with Christ, when we do that, we're not just affecting ourselves, we're affecting everyone around us. We're affecting our, not only our family, but we're affecting our church and our church family, and we're affecting the, the, the reputation of our God who loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for our sins so we could have a relationship with him. The stakes are just too high to allow our promises to come unfulfilled. I was continuing on and I got to Matthew chapter 12 in verse 22. And this is actually um, kind of a long buildup to what I wanted to talk about, but I really, I really try to keep Scripture in context. I'm funny that way. Uh, but in, starting in verse 33, excuse me, 22, uh, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? Verse 24, but when the Pharisees, who were the religious rulers of the day, the religious elite, heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive it's kind of interesting what he's saying here and it's so true he's like look a nation that's in civil war is doomed that if it comes to a point where people aren't trusting each other to do what they say there's going to be this 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 fracture if same is true in your company the same is true in your church the same is true in your family the same is true in your your marriages that our ability to maintain trust is paramount. Jesus says this, if I am empowered by Satan. What about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. 
For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and plunder his house. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or the world to come. Now, I want you to listen to this. Jesus really speaks directly into this character and ability and trust issue. He says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. I love it when Jesus says stuff like that. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? And here comes the hard part. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from a treasury of a good heart. And an evil produce, person produces evil things from a treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. It's not the glove, it's your words. And this just scares me to death. This is one of these messages that, or talks that I just would rather just not give. And this is one of these things that, you know, this isn't feel-good stuff. This is, you know, our, you know, how do we use these words? This is, this is hard things because I know that each and every one of us has said things that we're not proud of. There's so many of us that just wish, um, this is a, you know, for older people, you'll know what I'm saying. Uh, we wish we could just rewind and, and redo. For those of you a little bit younger, that would be skip back or, or delete the chapter or, 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 or something like that. But the, the thing is, there's things that come out of our mouths that we don't know where they came from and we just we try to just distance ourselves we say things like oh you know i was just tired or 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 i don't know where that came from or i didn't mean it or things like that and i just uh, you know i'm a bible guy and i'm a jesus guy and as much as i don't like it Jesus says that whatever is in your heart determines what you say. And I got to tell you, I, I've, you have too, but I, I, I've said some really ugly things to people. What Jesus is saying is, hey, you meant it. It was a mistake. You didn't misspeak. You weren't tired. You got a heart condition here. 
There's something rotting in your soul, and I have to live in it, and it stinks, and you need to deal with it. That's tough. Because a lot of times when that ugliness comes out of us, that we don't want to look that deep into our heart. Because really that, that, that ugliness scares us, that it's even part of us. And you know what? Mature followers of Christ, healthy people in a healthy church support one another and don't sweep that kind of stuff under the rug, but deal with it. They deal with it spiritually and emotionally, and they love each other through it, but they deal with it. But the person has to accept that they got, they have a trust issue and a heart issue going on. Now, I just wanted to jump over and just talk about just some real practical things about building trust and just kind of the ground rules of being part of a healthy biblical community. The first one is, do what you say. You know what? If you say you're going to do it, do it. You know what? The norm should not be an excuse why it didn't happen. You should do everything in your power. This is what happens. A lot of times I've done it too. You say you're going to do something because it seems right, and it seems like that's the thing that you should say, but then you get to a point where you realize that you are going to have to personally sacrifice more than you feel that that was worth. But again, it doesn't go back to what that thing is actually is that you said you would do. Your whole credibility, your trust factor hinges on that. How much is your character worth? How much is trust worth? It's worth everything because you cannot have community without it. If you don't trust your wife, or you don't trust your husband, you don't trust your boyfriend, you don't trust your girlfriend, these are separate people, by the way. Uh, where is that relationship? There is no relationship. Your trust is everything. And yes, you know what? Sometimes we speak out of emotion and say, I will do this. And sometimes it will cost a lot. But those who say that they identify with Jesus Christ, that He is their Lord and Savior, and say that I identify with His body and I am part of the body of Christ, that means that you do whatever it takes to follow through on what you said you would do. The next one is never lie. <laughs> You know what? It happens all the time. I hear stuff like, well, it was a white lie. 
There's no white lies. There's no black lies. There's no gray lies. There's just lies. And they grow out of control. And all of us do it. All of us do it. Our wife comes up to us and says, does this dress make me look fat? Sometimes there's just no win. I understand that. There's times where you're, you're trying to save somebody's feelings. You think it's the right thing to do. But when you lie to that person, it ends up ruining your credibility and your trust. Volunteer information. I, I'm really bad at this. I, when an opportunity to be vague arises that I think if it suits me, I, I'm vague. About as vague as they come. You don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm so vague. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, sometimes, you know, details aren't all that great. And, and you know what? Sometimes you think you just slide by, but what happens when, when, when you're vague is, is uh, you know, you're, it's showing that, you know, maybe, maybe the details are incriminating, and, and if I'm intentionally being vague, maybe there's, a, maybe there's an issue here. Don't omit important details is the next one. This is this plays itself out in my hand, my house all the time. It just it, my my daughter will will yell down and say, "Boo Bear's hitting me," you know, or or Boo Bear took my my you know stick or something like that and and you know all the drama that goes along with it and and we find out that the reason boo bear took her stick is because she was hitting him with the stick and that was conveniently omitted from the story and we do it all the time that, that we admit you, you omit you know different uh kind of details that that may incriminate us. Also, this is this is one that I think we have a real hard time with and this is should be an easy one. If you do have secrets, you should let them be known. And I'm not telling talking about revealing everything about you, but letting people know it's okay to have secrets. There's okay to, it's okay to have things that are close to you. You don't have to reveal everything and say that you're in a growth group and and everybody's talking about maybe past hurts and relationships and you're just coming out of a divorce or something like that and and it's okay to say you know what I'm I don't want to be vague but I I, I don't want to you know I want to be part of this group but I'm just not emotionally ready or spiritually ready to talk about this and if it's a healthy group, hey, you know what? You were honest, but you also didn't have to go to a place that, that you didn't need to go to. And healthy people are okay with other healthy people having secrets. 
don't mask the truth, which is kind of like never lie, but morphing things into something to, you know, preserve your ego. We do it all the time. We, we very easily, you know, move something one way or another way just to that because we wouldn't want to think of ourselves as doing something a certain way if there wasn't proper prov- provocation or, or something like that. But it's still, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And men and women who are healthy and in those men and women who make up a church for that church to be healthy, this is something that we just encourage one another to not do. The next one is being able to keep secrets. Uh, There's a lot of gossip that goes around, just telling other people's stories. And a lot of that happens in, in the church, you know, not just our church, all churches and close-knit communities, that, that happens. And we have a tendency a lot of times to sp- uh, spiritualize it. You know, uh, I have a prayer request. Uh, for, you know, I just want to pray that Susie stops kick- drinking all night and kicking her dog things like that. Can you pray for her? Oh, and things like that. You know what? That's not prayer. That's gossip. Just because you say I pray doesn't mean that you can or pray for doesn't mean that you can spread gossip. The Bible's very clear. If somebody is injuring themselves or the body of Christ, how to go about it? Matthew 18. We're not going to go into it right now, but look it up, read it, follow it. And then finally, number eight, when you and I mess up the previous seven, then just admit it. I had a friend who I did high school ministry with who would come to me all the time about every little thing. I'm like, dude, it's all right. He's like, no, I like to keep a short account with God and people. Just keep a short account. And I just, that always stuck with me. You know what? When you do something wrong, you know what? Go to that person and say, you know what? I messed up. Uh, when I was in Benin, and, and <laughs> just because of the, the topic of this, this message, normally I'd just tell this story, but I'll just, uh, just to be forthcoming and to build trust with you guys. I'm not really sure how this conversation started or, or even really exactly who was involved with it. I wasn't like drinking or anything. I just don't know the details. But I'm going to try to tell you as best as I know, but I really don't really think it may be entirely accurate, but it's true. <laughs> so this part I know, I was in Benin in Africa. And uh, I was with some people. I think it was Martin who was my translator. And somehow the conversation came up about forgiveness. Probably because I did something wrong and I asked for forgiveness, but I don't remember what that was or, or what it possibly could have been. See how this ruins stories? But you're all trusting me that I'm going to try to tell you at least 
an inkling of the truth, or you'll have some understanding of what's going on here. So we started talking about it. Let's say that I apologize for that thing that I may have may not done. And, and he said, well, you're already half forgiven. I'm like, half forgiven? What do you mean already half forgiven? He would say, in his culture in Benin, if you do something wrong, just by the mere act of going to that person and asking for forgiveness, it's half done. Half of forgiveness is, has happened. He said, now I'm, I'm coming to you and I'm completing the forgiveness and I, I forgive you. Now it's complete. Now we can put it behind us. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really neat. And I was thinking about forgiveness and, and if we thought about it in that way, is that, that, that you know what, forgiveness is a community building exercise. That forgiveness is this thing that, that, that knits us together because we all do things to make each other mad. It just is. It just, that's being people. So what are we going to do about it when that happens? We've got to meet each other halfway. We have the greatest example of that ever, our God. But you know what? Our God when we wronged him, the great thing about him that we're not like this is when we got to the place where we asked for forgiveness, that, that halfway mark, he was already there. He had already forgiven us. All we had to do was accept it. And I just wanted to take a minute and, and pray that maybe you're in a place right now that you're ready to accept God's forgiveness and to start on this, of this journey of, of refinement and Him making you and helping you live out the vision that He has for your life. Let's pray. Dear God, I just uh, thank You for Your Word and just the experiences You entrust us with. God, I thank You that You have already forgiven us and all we have to do is accept that forgiveness and make you the leader of our life. And I just pray if anybody is here right now who is at that point in their journey that they are ready to accept that, that they just will. That they will take the time to go over and grab me or Pastor Dan or Eric after the gathering and just help, us, help them get onto a, a path that will help grow them or refine them. Just let them know that you're already there and all they have to do is just simply accept what you have already done. God, I just pray for the rest of our community as we strive to be a healthy, biblically functioning church. We look at these things that are components of it. God, I just pray that as individuals we will be trustworthy, that we will let our yeses be yes and our noes be no. And I also pray that we will encourage one another to that standard as well. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.